Hello guys, welcome to a extra bonus episode for Memory Card, and uh, we'll be doing things a little bit different here. Uh, ben is not joining us, but instead, I'll be having two guests, and we'll be doing a cross-interview. This will be kind of more like a discussion, and um, the three of us can ask any question at any time. I have, of course, prepared some questions, but um, we'll try to be flexible and see where the conversation leads us. For the theme of this cross-interview, we'll be focusing on paper indies. Uh, joining me today is Gino. He um, developed Bug Fables, part of Moonsprout Games, which was published by Dongan Entertainment and uh, I think originally released in November 2019. The game features V, Abu, Leaf as the three main protagonists, and if I'm not uh, mistaken, the development started in 2015. I think it was 16. It was so long ago. It definitely went for a while. <laughs> like, I mean, if we count the napkins, probably like the napkin doodles, probably 2015. Okay. And of course, uh, Bug Fables is out on Steam and Nintendo Switch, and I think other consoles as well. PS4 and Xbox mm-hmm. One and GOG and blah. <laughs> and it, it's it's been pretty well received um, so far. It's got uh, I think a really positive rating on Steam and eighty five percent on Metacritic. I think even some outlets have have given it a hundred out of a hundred. So uh, first of all, congratulations on on Bug Fables' success. Thank you. Sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it's kind of surreal because you, you, you do it out of love, but you don't expect, like, like, you release it and you think, oh, some people will play and I'll see one or two reviews and I'll just, you know, go back to my job. But it went way better than that. So thank you. And then um, our next guest is actually um, Tris Valbuena. He is um, one of the developers for Seahorse Saga, which is a game that's currently in development for the PC and Xbox One. Is that correct? Yes, though obviously we want to target more than just that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Trish recently joined uh, Gamesplain as one of the members. Um, I've known him for a long, long time as uh, uh, when he originally joined Source Gaming back in the day. But yeah, we've, we've been friends for such a long time. And he's also developing a game that's kind of in, this, in a similar vein to uh, Bug Fables and, of course, um, Paper Mario, where it has like a paper RPG. What's that word that I'm looking for? Aesthetic? Aesthetic, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the main characters are uh, Trilo, Gilly, and Daphne, is that correct? Tyro, Daphne, and Gilly, yeah. <laughs> Tyro, okay. Although, as we also just revealed uh, earlier this past week, Walfried, the pirate walrus, is also a main character. Oh, okay, so that'll be one of the characters that you can actually switch between. Yep. If I recall correctly, this uh, Seahorse Saga started out as a school project, but it has kind of evolved since then, and it's become a lot more. Yeah, it originally started as a school project to kind of give us the opportunity to even start working on something of our own rather than uh, just the assigned school projects. And everyone on the team was enjoying it enough that we, after graduating, have just kept working on it. So I guess that um, that brings us to the first thing that I want to discuss. I'm sorry that I kind of drowned on with that introduction, but I just really wanted to give the listeners the background that they needed to understand where everyone's coming from. So. How did you guys first decide on doing a paper indie game title? And uh, Tris, do you want to start with this? Sure. So this was, I, I think I first got the idea for Seahorse Saga. Oh, I was still in high school at the time. So this was like, uh, like early 2014, 2015, when I first started getting the ideas. Because at, at that point, it had been a while since we last saw the prop, last proper 
quote-unquote proper <laughs> Paper Mario game. Uh, I was still a little burned from Sticker Star at the time. And at that point, it had also been a while since the last Mario & Luigi game. And I wanted to make, and since I love both of those series so much, I wanted to make something that felt like a nice kind of combination of the two and kind of, I guess the best way to put it is something that attracted those fans. But my idea was never to make something that like so many people would be all over. I just, I wanted to make something that if at least one fan of both of those series recognized the inspirations, then there they go. And I basically kept that idea in a notebook, like, all through college. And then when I learned as a senior, they're like, hey, you can actually pitch your own game to make uh, for your last year. I pitched it, and a bunch of people were interested. So that's that's when we started. And uh, Gino, did you have a, a similar experience starting Hog Fables as well? Like, yes and no. I, I was, I was kind of nodding along. I was like, yeah, that's... <laughs> and then I was like, oh, how lucky. So Buck Fables, the core team started as two people, right? Uh, the other guy is Marcio Clayton, who is the main programmer and did a bunch of other stuff. Like he even, like I would draw the concepts and he would make the sprites kind of stuff. It's like the Swiss knife god thing. <laughs> he actually went back home like yesterday because he was staying over in Panama for a while and COVID hit. And then he was like, oh no, I'm stuck here. Uh, but he finally got to go back yesterday. So he and I, we met in a Pokemon forum when I was in high school. We would make like fan hacks or whatever. Nintendo, don't sue me, please. I didn't sell them. <laughs> uh, you know, like <laughs> we would just play around. And we, after the, after we got tired of making fan stuff, we, we tried to make our own stuff, but we would always cancel everything. Like I'm telling you, it was two years of, oh, I came up with this amazing RPG setting. And then we would shelve it like four days later. It was like, no, nah, it's boring. And that continued for, like, years. Then I ended up going abroad to study in New Zealand, like, media design school, game development. So I didn't actually get to work on Bug Fables as a school project. I was working on some other stuff. I pitched some games, but mine didn't get picked. So, you know, I was just a code monkey in my team. I had to deal with it. It's fine. Sometimes you just have to do it. So I would get home. I, I had to take, like, a one hour, 30 minute commute because otherwise I couldn't afford rent. So mm -hmm. on the bus, I would text Marcy on Discord, like the conversations for Bug Fables events full of typos because I was writing on my phone and then I would stay home and work on like 2 a.m. We made like this comic with the intro of Snake Mouth then. It looked like complete. I'm going to try to find the page. Uh, and then we decided, hey, let's go again. Yeah, by this point, starting a new project was like, whatever, sure, let's go again. But this time, this time, this time it stuck. And just like just like Tris, I wasn't planning on it like blowing up. I was just getting home dead from uni and coming back to life so I could work on like this paper fan game. It it used to be called Paper Bugs too. Uh before it was, we switched to Bug Fables. You can still find like the early demo made in MS Paint. The only reason we decided to go for it was because even though the MS Paint demo was garbage. Like I, I, I know. Like I'm ashamed of it. Like if you play Bug Fables now and you play that demo, you're like, what? Start like this. Um, people still liked it, and we thought, hey, this is finally something we post. People care about, so maybe we can do something with it. So then the saga, the non seahorse saga of you know buying a subway sandwich and making it last three days started. So I could hire someone mm -hmm. to make music. Tristan, his soundtrack is super good. We started going like, oh, we're gonna do an Indiegogo. 
and we started, you know, like slaving away till 4 a.m. while I was at uni. Somehow I graduated. I don't know how. It doesn't matter. And then we launched the Indiegogo, and then it's all the history from there. So um, when did you realize that you had like a, a project that was um, viable to be like finished and fully realized? When we released the bad demo and people... Okay, so when your game is bad, mm-hmm. people don't take the time to say anything other than rated mm-hmm. one star and walk away, right? It's, it's unremarkable. But if someone takes the time to write paragraphs about how it could have been good and you disappointed them, it's because they had expectations, right? Yeah. Someone made a 30-minute video blasting it. And I was like, I was like, I'm deeply hurt, but I am also impressed at how much you care about this. Like, this game is so bad that you care so much. I knew there was something. You know, you have to see the silver lining and everything. I was like, there is no way this game is that bad if someone, even though he doesn't like it, has taken the time to comment. You know, because there's a difference between being bad and being disappointing. That's when, that's when we sat down and went like, hey, if we try, we actually try, mm-hmm. because we're doing everything like rushed at night with no plan. If we actually sit down and do this properly, I'm pretty sure we can make it better. And we did. That's, that's the plot, I guess. We, we tried again. We, spent like, we went off social media for like four months. And when we came back, it was like, new 3D models, new sprites new battle system it was like ooh, and then we just kind of went yeah Tris how about you um, when did you realize that you could take Seahorse Saga to the next like level so I, I obviously uh, as as development was going well during the, the school project phase I, I wanted and I hoped that it, we could keep going with it but the mm-hmm. the exact moment that I realized we really had something that we could do that with um, was PAX East 2019. Uh, because my school was located like an hour away from Boston, and because the school had such a big focus on game design, they had a booth at PAX East. And since we were one of the senior games, we were invited to uh, have a spot there. So we actually got to show off our game for three days at PAX East, which was really exhausting, but also like really fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually had like a bunch of people come by and we had people from the industry basically come by and give us a bunch of feedback on like, so it's obviously a student game, but you have potential here. You have something that you could actually see through here. And while it was really encouraging to get a bunch of feedback from like other indie developers or other people in the industry or other students that knew similarly or just to see people excited by it, what definitely sold it to me on like I want to keep this going was this family of um it, it was like a mother and like a seven-year-old and I think like a five-year-old and they came up they saw like our our, our cutout standee of Tyro the seahorse and they stayed at the game for a solid like 30 minutes and they tried to do everything they could oh and as soon as as soon as it was done they looked at me and they're like will you be back next year and I looked at my friend and I'm like well, now I hope we will be. <laughs> and then they got they took a picture with uh, with our standee. And after they left, I talked with I, I talked with uh, my friend TJ, who is our uh, my my lead producer, who was helping me demonstrate that day, and um, our professor that had helped us uh, like p- pitch the game to the school, basically. And I brought up the idea of like m- let's see if we can keep this going. And they were in full support. Uh, my professor had basically said, you know, any anything we need, like ask her and she will 
she will direct us in every way she can to help us like be able to take this off. And we've been constantly uh, getting better and better reception since then. So evidently we respond well to criticism, but it is also a matter of um, the fact that we see there, there are people actually liking what they see. And e even when it was bad, like at that point, there was like random colored blocks everywhere just to represent like platforming. Like, like Gino, I know you played a demo that we released this past summer. If you, if you take that level, but, like, majority of its textures weren't done, and, like, it didn't look good. It was a super rough concept. But the fact that people were excited for it meant something. Don't worry, I'm all about that placeholder art. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> I mean, a good, like, definitely, if it's not fun before being textured, it's not fun after being textured, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's so heartwarming to hear about the little girl, you know, playing for 30 minutes. I kind of had this thing, except it was like this Asian businessman who played for 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't expect that demographic. <laughs> but it, it just feels so good when you work so hard on something and someone likes it. It's always so scary until you see that happen. Exactly. That, that's definitely it. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like you guys both um, had like this, uh, this moment where like you kind of got uh, feedback from, from the from fans and, and uh, from people, and that helped motivate you guys to push it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do stuff alone eventually. Like, the motivation... I, I know you have to be disciplined because motivation comes and goes, but if you work alone too long, you start losing sight of why it's even good. You start hating it. You've played it so many times. <laughs> you hate every bit of it. I'm like, oh, this game sucks. It's so easy, and like I had to, I had to hack the game in real time to make it easier because we had fine tuned it so much to play like a god that kids were dying in the, the first level because they couldn't do anything. Like, oh no! We, I, I, I got home with a notebook full of notes. Like, we have to do this for normal mode because kids are dying. Do it for the kids. Well, um, I want to kind of go back and like to ask you guys. So, what's your favorite Paper Mario game, or or um, maybe Luigi and uh, sorry Mario and Luigi title, and and like is there a particular element that you really wanted to reproduce in your in your games? I guess I'll go first. My favorite is the very first one, Paper Mario sixty four. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I'm not, I'm not saying it peaked there. I know people like other entries, but I got it like this Christmas present when I was like five <laughs> years old or something. I was unlike anything I'd ever played. You know, I used to play games where you didn't even read, like Mario 64. <laughs> like, Ocarina of Time reading is like a very big stretch. You spend most of the time mm -hmm. just walking around. It just felt so, you know, magic. It was magic at five years old. I just liked everywhere was different, new people and new enemies. And it just felt like it was <laughs> never going to end. Like, because when you're a kid, you don't know, like, oh, this game probably only lasts 20 hours. No, I was like, this game's never going to end. No matter what I do, there's always going to be somewhere else. <laughs> and I was stuck in the Bowser fight for like, I was like six, so don't judge me. I was stuck in the Bowser fight for like two months. I actually had to ask a friend from school, like, hey, can you beat up Bowser for me? <laughs> I, I made, that's how I made my first friend. I was at school and I was like, overhearing people talking about Paper Mario. I was like, I need help. Can you come over to my house and beat up Bowser for me? <laughs> so I guess it's probably nostalgia. But every time I play it, I'm just happy. Like, if I, I'm watching speedruns, I just rather watch 64. I, I, I did love the Thousand Year Door. But I just think that the first one was so important in my life that it's impossible for me to, like, knock it down. 
I think it's really interesting because so many people I know that have played Bug Fables, they specifically see a lot of inspiration from the first Paper Mario specifically in it. Like, out of any Paper Mario game, it reminds them of the first one the most. So I don't know if that was truly intentional or not, but yeah, I think you definitely captured that, uh, that feeling that you got from the original. Man, when I read fan reviews, it's like 30% was intentional and 70% is, I did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been in development for years, so there's some stuff that just happens as you go and you don't even realize you're doing it until someone points it out to you like, hey, did you do this on purpose? And I'm like, no, but I'm glad you liked it. Uh, you should just claim credit for it. You should be like, oh yeah, that was totally intentional. <laughs> nah. You're, you're very work. smart for catching it. Nah, because, because this web of lies, I have to pretend I did it the rest of my life. <laughs> in my case, um, my favorites in the, uh, both series entries, so I'll, I'll also touch upon Mario and Luigi. Um, for Paper Mario, for me, my favorite really is Thousand Year Door. But I think that is because that, that was the first one that I had played. Because um, I didn't, I didn't have an N64 growing up. Well, we had an N64, but we only had like three games for it. But um, so I never actually got to experience the original Paper Mario until uh, the Wii Virtual Console, which I was, re- I was very, very excited to go back to that one, and I, I, I love that one. But Thousand Year Door was my first one, and there's a lot of I, 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 I love the way the, the, the character swapping with the partners actually works out, and I love the way the, the world kind of. Uh, comes together even though you don't directly walk from one place to the other uh, i love how the world of rogue part comes together this whole area that isn't at all tied to the mushroom kingdom but manages to come together in a way that still feels more developed than a lot of areas in mario uh it was really exciting to me and i love so much about that game and in similar note my favorite Mario and Luigi game is Superstar Saga. So the very first one in that case. And I, I also love the remake for it. But that's another case of I loved this well interconnected developed world that wasn't part of the Mushroom Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. There's a theme here where I very clearly like when <laughs> Mario leaves its comfort zone of home. Um, I think it's really interesting when they actually take the time to develop other kinds of characters and species and show there's more than just toads out there. So I guess um, with Seahorse Saga, is that something that you're trying to emulate, where um, it's like trying to emulate them going out of their own world and like seeing different tribes of people, maybe, or different, uh, different kinds of... Yeah, and I think with what we have so far, we're trying to get that because um, our, our main character, Tyro, mm-hmm. the, the whole kind of beginning of it is he joins the Royal Guard of Atlantis because all he really knows is Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And he wants to ex- be able to uh, find out more about the world. And the captain of the Royal Guard is a seasoned hero who's been everywhere. So mm-hmm. he kind of admires Captain Daphne in that case. But beyond even that, um, in terms of the world building, we've also been trying to actually get like some of the gameplay behind those. So we kind of want the gameplay to feel like a mix between Thousand Year Door and the Mario and Luigi games. Mm-hmm. And I think. Right now, where we're heading with battle, I think we're nearing this good like middle ground between the two, where it feels like a Mario and Luigi game in battle, but with some Paper Mario elements, and then the overworld feels more like Paper Mario with like the swapping out partners and the different partner abilities and things like that. Yeah, I think like um, going through the overworld and having that partner abilities is something that like I personally really liked about the Paper Mario series. 
especially with the N64 and, and a thousand year door, um, because it was always so exciting to get to get a new partner and to like be like, oh, I can do this now, and uh, try to explore new areas. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it was it was fun to get a new character. And it's like oh, I can solve that puzzle now. That was like that you found further back. I wanted to say I'm excited. Like I want to see the next demo because from what I play was so. You know, it's pretty as hell. Like we we don't have to debate about it. It looks way better than Bugfail. It looks sick. <laughs> but I I was like, because in the demo I played, I think they didn't have field abilities yet, right? Yeah, not yet. It it took us a while to kind of get that in. And I've been so hyped to see like how you're gonna do it because your party is way bigger mm-hmm. than Bugfables, I noticed. You have the three in the demo, and you uh, release the Walrus, and I'm sure you're gonna have more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious to see how you handle the the bigger cast because for me, even writing a small cast was pretty hard. I think in in our case, it's complemented by our team size. So I, because I know h- how many of you were there for for Bug Fables, like in total, like the amount of people that worked specifically on the game. If we don't count like contractors that we hire for like specific pieces or something, I would say the core team was four. Yeah, but but the writing was pretty much just me, so it was kind of hard. That's fair, and that can definitely get overwhelming. In Seahorse's case, especially since it started as a student project, which means there had to be a certain number of people on the team, um, I think we started with six people, and we kind of had like some like one person for each jurisdiction. So we had an artist, we had a designer, we had someone really good at programming, and we kind of started spreading out from there. And I, I believe now, again, not, not, not counting people that have kind of come and gone uh, here and there, uh, we're at about 12 people on our team right now nice yeah so it, it's a decently sized team for an indie game and we have a team of three writers so they actually like work together they they as a whole kind of tackle the plot but we have two people who kind of juggle the dialogue and they've actually gotten really good at making it look like it was written by the same person trying to find that each character's voice and stuff like that that can be a real challenge especially with a dialogue he- heavy game the way we've actually taken that approach I guess the best way to put it is uh, I, I wanted to make sure everyone working on the game has a way that they feel attached to it. So what we actually do for our game is we have a submission form for characters, for like NPCs and such, and anyone on the team can submit a character so they can show like what sea creature it is how, and describe how they want it visually to look, the kind of personality the character would have. And when we start fleshing out that character, whatever writer is starting to work on that character or whatever artist starts concepting that character, they sit down with the person that actually submitted it. So we can kind of, everyone works together to make that character uh, come together in like the, the best way they can. I never would have thought of doing like, you know, a submission form for NPCs. <laughs> I'm so used to a small team. I'm fascinated. I am intrigued. I want to know more. <laughs> nah, it, it, it sounds pretty cool. Well, I mean, as Push said, this is a cross interview, so if you do have questions, I can I can answer what I can. <laughs> I know. Is it, I, I get so overwhelmed when working with big teams. Like mm-hmm. when I heard twelve, I was like, "Damn, that was tough." You know, just managing everyone as like the project owner, like the lead developer, it is a little daunting at times. The 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 production behind it, it's tough to lead people when you, especially when you don't. For example, I, I know nothing about programming, so <laughs> it's tough to lead that side of it. But that's why I have my, uh, my executive producer, my co-producer, and he and I sit down to kind of break everything up. And 
yeah, you know, I, I, I handle a lot of the art and design side of things, and he handles a lot of the, the programming, the audio, and, like, the general production side of things. You know, don't see it as a, as a, as a weakness. Yes, as, see it as a strength. You don't know programming. You're not shackled by logic or feasibility <laughs> or stuff that you can reasonably do in a time frame that won't kill your entire team. Nah, you don't know about that. You say cool stuff. So powerful. <laughs> no, it, I'm not even kidding because since since I program, right, sometimes I get cool ideas and I, I shut them down before I even speak because I'm like, this is going to kill everyone. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> so I, I actually think there's merit to you being able to propose stuff without knowing if it's even possible because then it's up to the team. Like, hey, we think it's worth it or, mm -hmm. or not. You, you, don't, you don't have like that weight already when you're proposing stuff. So I think that works in your favor, to be honest. That's totally fair, actually. I never looked. At, I never thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, your team's gonna <laughs> hate you, but it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> but it's still true. How important has a story been in development of your of your titles? Like, um, I know you said that you have, um, I think, two or three people dedicated to story in uh, Seahorse Saga. So, um, like, how long do you think the story is gonna be in in terms of like raw page count? Oh gosh, I I have no idea how how long it's going to be in terms of raw page count because I think I think at the moment our writers are writing it like a script, so it's like mostly dialogue, yeah, and then it has like the the paragraphs for you know like describing what happens in these sections. So I I I don't know in terms of raw page count, but I do know we're targeting the length or at least we're targeting an equal length to like our inspiration. So like. The, the general plot length of a Mario and Luigi game or a Paper Mario game is what we're shooting for, at least. Oh, that's a lot. I, I, want, to give you, I want to give you a piece of advice mm -hmm. to save you from further suffering because I found out too late. It's too late for me. Okay, so, so Bug Fables has 150,000 words, right? It's a lot of words. Yeah. And it came in Japanese and in English, right? Right. <laughs> the way we coded the cutscenes as the text riddle with command text and code. You know, if you see Bibi like, comma, and then she changes her animation, it's like, what's your problem? So that, it has like a little tag in the middle. So what I'm trying to say is that adding text from other languages was horrible, and I wanted to die. <laughs> and you, you're still there, where you can, you know, grab your coder and be like, hey, what's going to happen if we put this in, like, Korean? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to you? Who's going to put the text in? Who's going to suffer through this? It seems trivial, but I am not lying when I tell you that I spend months of development working on other language versions. Because it takes so long to add 150,000 words in another language. If your game has a lot of text, you definitely... Like, if someone in your team knows French or something... Just start making the French version now so you can start suffering now. It's going to be worth it. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You're going to thank me so much. No, no, I totally get it. Like, like that, that makes perfect sense. And I totally get that. Um, and I, and you're, you're right, honestly. Like, it's something that if we're able to tackle early on in development and kind of co-write it at the same time, that, that would be best. Yeah, don't underestimate it. Sadly, I don't think that's possible in our current setup. I mean, I guess I, I could talk to the team and, see if, and yeah. see if someone has someone in their family that would be able to do that. But yeah, 
Okay, you don't you don't have to actually translate it to French, but I mean just set up the framework. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know how in the in the title screen it asks for the language and stuff, and you have to you know separate all the files by by language and stuff. Just set that up early, and you're gonna you're gonna be better off for it. That is totally fair. You you mentioned like the the way cutscenes are coded and all that, and that actually I wanted to ask you about this because the way we do it, basically our programmers have worked to make like tools for designers. I think it's called modular programming. Um, so basically, they, they make tools in Unity that our designers can then work with. So we, they, they've been working on this whole cutscene system that is uh, even, we may need to follow like a short like text guide to fully get the grasp of it. But basically, by following that, a, a designer can place an NPC in, get dialogue working for them, and have like eight dialogue bubbles that they want to. Like, it just, in, in, like, the side editor on Unity, you can just press, like, the plus button next to text and type out, like, a whole, like, three lines. And it, it, it's become really smooth. So, so we, we made our own tools, too, but honestly, we just grabbed some masking tape and some glue. <laughs> you know, that's how we made everything. But, I mean, like, we made some tools, but we're not that... I guess since we're a small team, we didn't need to make, like, tools for other people. Yeah. It was just us. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess this, this ties in really well to the, my next question, which is um, if you had like some sort of like time machine that you could like travel back and like, you know, tell yourself at the very beginning of development, what would you tell yourself? There, there were a lot of rough patches in development because one of us would get sick. And, you know, when you're a small team, if someone is out of commission, the company stops completely. But that, that's just life. But if I had known how hard translation was going to hit us, because basically we finished the game. We finished the game, the credits rolled. Mm. And then it was like, hey, time to put the Japanese text in. Oh, no. Japanese doesn't even have automatic line breaks because all the text is put together. So we had to manually introduce line breaks. Or something. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would go back and be like, make a better text system. Do it. We actually remade the way our text system works for like any project we go forward, mm-hmm. we grab this and we're like, oh, this man. is never happening again. I can't handle it. It's <laughs> future-proofed from now on. That's what I would tell them. Myself. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it, of uh, future-proofing. Because I think I would definitely take a similar approach. Not just for the uh, other languages you mentioned, but definitely uh, future-proofing in general. Because we've, I think, within our first year of development, I think we've, we've rewritten the battle system twice and i think now we're good with it but it it, we we had a bunch of things that were uh put in and coded in and we had a lot of things hard coded at first for like the proof of concept that ended up being hard to (laughs) remake later so uh basically i would have gone back and be like hey make sure the programmers aren't like hard coding everything because they're just gonna have to redo it later save time and as you mentioned, future-proofing. I guess, like, concepting and getting systems in place is, is, like, the most important advice, right? Like, trying to get those systems in place, but also, like, trying out those ideas mm-hmm. uh, in, like, small-scale experiments. Your fans are your best friends. And they will mm-hmm. probably 99.9% never betray you. Because, so we beta-tested uh, beta tested bug fails because of the Indiegogo perks. You know, you could buy beta testing. And we set up a branch on Steam. We didn't set up a branch. I didn't know how to do that. I'm stupid. We just put the game on Steam, and then I sent beta codes to everyone. 
they weren't beta codes, they were just real codes. So I just gave him like a free code later. I don't know. Tris, don't be like me. Research. Um, <laughs> beta testing started in May and the game came out in November. They had the game for six months. There was not a single leak of the game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even make them sign NDAs or anything. They just respect you wow. because you're making the game they want. Someone accidentally streamed the entire game on Twitch because he thought it was private. But, you know, I told him, hey, can you take that down? And he did. So no hard feelings. So you have the people there. And if you are thinking like, hey, does this work? You're going to run into the same problem I did. You've played your game so much. You don't know anymore. Just grab your 10 favorite backer, uh, Discord members. Sorry, I, I'm used to saying backers. I just be like, hey, you want to be a secret tester? You know, you, really, you, <laughs> you whisper in the ear. You, like the secret tester role. <laughs> You're like, we're testing this out. Do you have any feedback? Because now we're with COVID, we can't go to PAX, right? Sad COVID noses. The the mother with the kids, like, oh no, no more PAX. Yeah, exactly. But you can't you you can't go too long without having fresh people play it. It doesn't even have to be your Discord. If you have like a friend who's never played it before, and he's like a good friend, but not good enough friend that he's not gonna insult you, you can be like, hey, can you play this? It's it's necessary. It's actually necessary. You if you go too long without feedback, you tunnel vision and then start overlooking stuff for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, honestly. Just trust your fans. Like I'm a teacher and my students are always like, What if people steal my game? I'm like, they're not gonna steal your game. It's taking you eight it's taken you eight months to make this thing and you think they're gonna steal it in two weeks. <laughs> like have some self respect. No one's gonna steal this. They're going to get bored in like two days if they try to steal it. Just share your game. <laughs> share your game. If you don't share it, you don't know what's bad. So um, again, that actually ties really well into my next question or my, my next topic. I'm a psychic. Yeah, you're like, we're on the same wavelength. Um, I want to talk about like marketing and then like how um, you kind of got uh, noticed and how you uh, got the word around and like how you approach that. I can only guess. Because honestly, I did do my best, but sometimes it feels like it's, it feels kind of lucky. Like I'm not, I'm not lying. Sometimes I would get high investment in some tweets that I posted without any care for. And sometimes tweets that was like, oh, people are going to love this. I got like two likes. I mean, I tried to use the hashtags as much as I could. We had the, we had a Tumblr when Tumblr wasn't dead. Okay. We actually didn't open a Discord server until like two weeks before the Indiegogo, which I think was a mistake. I should have opened it way earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so you're on the right track with that one. Because the Discord congregates the fans, right? And when the fans get together, uh, it sparks stuff. The fans start making headcanons and fanner between them and it just gets livelier. I waited way too long for that. Although maybe it helps that the demo came out so they have something to talk about. <laughs> There's this weird thing where you get an article in a random website and you get 50 followers and you show up in an interview and you get two followers and you're like, what am I fighting for? Like, what am I doing? Why, why did this work? And why didn't this work? Why, why did this article help? Why did this article not help? Like in the Kickstarter, it was the same. The Indiegogo, whatever. It was like, I would, sh- I would try to show up in local news or something. Like I would really push for like, hey, I'm- no one makes games here. Please help me out. I would like, put on a suit and look extremely nervous and get zero dollars and then Destructoid posted an article we got like seven thousand dollars i'm like mm-hmm. i can't trust my country they won't help me 
getting a publisher helps. Uh, Dangan Entertainment has gotten so many articles published in sites that ghosted me when the Indiegogo was running. <laughs> you know, because you cold call emails like, hey, full game, and then they just ignore you. But when the publisher flexes their shiny publisher muscles, they immediately write the article and you're like, <laughs> you, it just feels it just feels weird in that way that sometimes it feels like the only right answer is do as much as you can in hopes that at least two out of ten will will hit. And I don't know, you have a podcast, so I think you understand. Sometimes it's like, you just gotta go for it. My only advice is don't be shy. You will get shut down. It's fine. It's part of life. But um, eventually someone won't show you down and that will matter. So just keep keep going for it. Yeah, I was gonna say, actually, I, I just joined uh, Q Games as part of their marketing team. So this is kind of like a, a really um, selfish question to ask. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think anyone, I think anyone who hears this can make use of it. So it's not that selfish. I, I, I definitely think marketing is something that, even if you like go to school for it and learn it for a while, which someone on my team took like three marketing classes during college, most of their ideas have not worked, and it's not a problem with them. It's literally a matter of marketing is so hit or miss with majority of the audience. Yeah, and it's not just about finding the right thing that people might like. It's also how to best time that and get the most reach with it. And that's usually difficult. Like, really difficult. Yeah. This is a dangerous suggestion, but memes are powerful. <laughs> Try to show something cool with your game, but it's also a meme. Yeah, I think, to, to, and, and to better answer the, the question you asked, Push, when it comes to marketing... I don't even know if I would say all the stuff we've been doing with Seahorse has worked. It's just because the most random of things have taken off. Yeah. Where even if we try doing the same kind of thing again, it hasn't. And I think, strangely enough, what actually takes off isn't what we post to the social media. It's when, for example, when I joined Game Explain um, and I got the sudden surge of people looking at my profile, we got like 30 followers. And I'm like, we didn't even post anything today. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it really does sometimes come down to just the right people looking at the right things and talking about it where you can. So I have it like nice, shiny first thing mentioned in my Twitter profile that I'm the lead designer mm -hmm. on Seahorse Saga. So someone goes, my yeah. Twitter pro someone goes to my Twitter profile, ooh, what's this? And they click on the different things that I link to. And mm -hmm. that's been successful, but that's not doing anything with the actual social media. But when it comes to actual social media posts, I think um, being experimental, trying to see what works is probably the best thing you can do because the worst thing that happens is it just doesn't go. Yeah, I would say, I would say my, in my personal opinion, like, I think like uh, you guys are both on the right track, you know, posting as much as you can or like, you know, trying to um, try different avenues as much as possible and, and like seeing what sticks. I think it's very, very important. And then the second is, um, as you said, Tris, like, and kind of, you know, also hint at this is, um, you know, knowing the right people and also like getting them to help you and, and to cover and everything like that is also vital. You know, both of those. And like, some, um, sometimes you don't need one or the other. You can get, I mean, you can get by with just one. A lot of times it, it is just dumb luck. Just don't give up. <laughs> Sounds so, sounds so anime though, right? Yeah, like, don't give up. It's a self-help book. But <laughs> honestly, I think people make fun of the self-help books 
because they sound silly, but at the end of the day, it's true, and they just don't want to admit <laughs> it. It's like, oh, there's no way just believing in yourself is going to work. But, but it does. I have found, um, a, a, as another tropey thing to mention, <laughs> you know, outside of, you know, don't, uh, outside of never give up, um, as another trope, the power of friendship in, like, big shiny rainbows and all that. <laughs> um, the biggest surge that we've really gotten is when, like, indies band together and promote each other. And I think that goes for most games, most indie games that are around the same size. When they promote each other, or even, like, if it's one slightly bigger. Like, you, you see all the, the indie crossover games that have been happening lately and getting Kickstarters lately. And when they promote each other, it goes crazy. Like, uh, for example, Framemakers has Octodad. And I can guarantee, before looking at that trailer, I did not know half the characters in there. And now I follow most of those games because it got me to look at them. <laughs> and the, the indie supporting each other really does work and it really helps each other. When I saw Frame Maker, I was like, I'm not big enough yet to be in a Smash Club. <laughs> <laughs> although, although if you think about it, it's kind of, it's kind of curious, right? You, we, we're talking about indie supporting each other, but in projects like that, it's people who already made it, right? I don't know if it always is, but because like look look at Indie Pogo for example, that started from something relatively small, and I think they had some of their own original things in there as well, and it just started getting mm. bigger and bigger. And sure, people don't talk about Indie Pogo much now, but I'm pretty sure Indie Pogo was like decently successful, and it, it they got Shovel Knight too, which was a big deal. So because Shovel Knight saves things, I guess. <laughs> uh, Indie Pogo was fun as hell. Like I backed it. I played it on release and started posting paragraphs on the Discord like, hey, thank you. It's, it's, it's fun. To me, and they're like, no, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, it, it was good. Oh, Framemakers doesn't have Shovel Knight, does it? Not, not yet. <laughs> Isn't it tragic that Bug Fable, the entirety of the Bug Fables cast would not survive Underwater? Magic. <laughs> Magic and air bubbles. <laughs> there you go. It's the perfect crossover, secret uh, crossover. I mean, Bug Fables is done, so I can't, I can't add seahorses into Bug Fables anymore. Like, it's done. <laughs> of course. Within 1.1, 1. 1, like, free DLC boss and stuff, and, and we're done. Like, I, I have to move on from, from that right now, but, but the inverse is like... <laughs> Same with the seahorse saga. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, like, hey, I can't put Leaf in seahorse saga, because he would just drown to death and die. Great. Oh, maybe you can put, a, like, a little helmet. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, it's just... When you care about lore so much, you lose cross promotion opportunities. That's the sad life of an indie. That <laughs> well, you have like a fun cross promotion going on now, don't you? With like it was some sort of I I don't remember the exact detail. Wasn't it like a V costume for for someone in a different game? Yeah, but it's kind of different, right? It's just a costume. It's not like bees inside the game shooting lasers at aliens. <laughs> it's like oh, I'm gonna dress up as a bee. And honestly, that was the easiest promotion thing because yeah. if you think about it being a bee is so normal like everyone <laughs> wants a queen bee costume that's fair you can't help but ask yourself like is this really a self it's just she's just dressed as a bee <laughs> i'm kidding but but you get it right mm -hmm. <laughs> uh bees are great praise the bees do you have like pet fish on a bowl or something no i i i, I would love to have like more pets if i was in an environment where i could like actually have a bunch. I, I had pet fish growing up, 
but I it's been more of a I like going to aquariums. I just I I've always liked the environment and it's always been very like serene and peaceful. Makes sense. Aquariums are great. Not that I, not that I can easily do it, but I I used to go a lot growing up. Well, um, I want to ask you, um, kind of a, as a last question is, um, there's so many other uh paper indie titles that are in development. Like there's a scrap story, and, and a bunch of other ones. So, is there any ones that um that you're personally excited for, um, besides you know Bug Fables and Seer Saga? I'm actually really looking forward to Scrap Story, and I believe the other one has changed names to Born of Bread. They both just look really good and really stylized, and I actually look forward to seeing more from those games and actually giving them more of a try. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said Scrap Story because Scrap Story actually Scrap Story didn't have combat in the demo I played. It was just exploration. I don't know if they changed that, but it would be pretty interesting if it was like a paper game that was only exploration and quests and had no combat. I don't know how far along it is. I haven't checked. Like same. I think I think they just released another demo around Halloween. Really? Oh, I need to scroll down. I think I I I think I remember them talking about that. It would be interesting because everyone because they're inspired. The first thing they think is like paper combat, but or Mario and Luigi combat, but you know. It doesn't have to have combat. It could be just walking around, and I think no one's tried that yet. Yeah, it's true. Oh yeah, that looks sick. The Halloween tweet. Um, I'm looking forward to Folkloria, but they haven't posted in ages. I think, but you know, I believe I think it's more Mario and Luigi style than paper style. But you know, same thing. Oh uh, yeah, that was another one that I that I that I've seen and looked into. Yeah, maybe maybe after Bug Fables, I want Mario and Luigi instead of. Instead of <laughs> instead of paper, <laughs> I've had my fill. Um, so scrap story, blue omen operation, uh, folkloria. Oh, Timbley Jim, Timbley Jim. I know the Timbley Jim guy. I've been waiting for ages for the demo for Timbley Jim. That's the that's the good thing, right? There's so many games coming out. People <laughs> full of love, with great graphics. So I'm glad I came out first. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You you definitely got ahead of the curve. <laughs> you beat the rush. It's it's also good to see someone come out first and do well because they're like, hey, they did well, so we can do well too. And then everyone starts working really hard, and that's nice. Yep. For Bug Fables too, I really want to have a little better presentation. But you know, it was two guys in college, stuck in a basement. We did every we did everything we could with what we had, so I don't <laughs> regret how it looks. But I want to see what we can do with more time, resources, without the pressure. It's just, you know, it's fun thinking about it. Definitely. I mean, listen, B- Bug Fables is one of my all-time favorite indie games, and in general has become one of my favorite games. I have replayed that thing two times already, and I definitely look forward to what you guys can put out if you think um, conditions being better means you could do even better. It just sounds really exciting. Yeah, I'm just kind of worried because, full spoilers, I, people know in the Discord already, our next game is not Bug Fables related. We want to try something else before we do Book Fables 2. That's okay. Because if you kind of rush the sequel, you you kind of you're you're like in the same time frame when you made the first one, and it's gonna feel too samey. So I kind of want to let it rest and see what ideas we get. Yeah. So they're gonna be like, oh, Book Fables 2, and then we're gonna announce like a fighting game or something or like a visual novel. They're gonna be like, what? No, I didn't want this. I love indie games. There's you see so many wild, wacky things that you may never see from like big big AAA companies. Oh, uh, the wonders of not caring about, you know, critical reception or your business going bankrupt. Yeah, really. <laughs> I think that's 
why Seahorse Samuel and Bookfables are doing well in the sense of soul is like started because it was love, right? I didn't make Bookfables to make money. Yep. Because I didn't even expect it to take off. So it's it's a pleasant surprise, but pretty much it was just like let's yeah. just make the game we want to play, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely how we're approaching Seahorse. But we're definitely trying to make sure it's like, hey, people might pe- people might like this, but not in a people would pay money for this edition. It's more of a, hey, someone may look at this edition and smile at it. So we definitely should do it. Kind of. Yeah, thing. just just doing something because you're passionate about it. Passion and love. <laughs> so, uh, is there any uh, final comments before we wrap up, uh, Gino? Do you want to start first? Yeah. First, thanks for having me here. I know it sounds like a generic message, but uh, to me, that people, you know, want to hear what I have to say is meaningful to me. So I am grateful. Uh, Tris, mm-hmm. uh, you're doing well. Thank you. You know, sneaking, sneaking a secret demo for me. Just for me, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I, I do look forward to it. I'm not very active on Discord servers. I'm more of a to myself person. I just do my own stuff and don't really like jump but i am excited about it so i just hope to see a lot of it in the future i guess i should say this i should say this because there's not like an ask me anything on reddit in like three hours uh where i'm gonna be answering stuff so i guess i have to be selfish and self-promote so anyone who sees this in january you know you can look it up but really dustin thank you it's it's been a pleasure talking with you you're a very warm and kind fellow uh, Tris, is there anything else that you, you'd like to uh, say before we uh, finish up this uh, podcast? Yeah, likewise, in this case, just thank you for having me on. I'm always happy to talk about uh, indie games in general, but getting to talk about my own and also getting to talk about Bug Fables, that's always really exciting. And I love seeing like the little developer interviews you do, Gino, and getting to like, learn more about uh, the inner workings of how Bug Fables went. Your game has brought so much like passion and attention to people. and that's really exciting. And it's always good to see that from an indie game. And my, my, my hope is that we get at least one person that, whether it's a kid or a passionate adult, that looks at Seahorse Saga and ends up loving it too when we get further. But yeah, um, I, don't, I don't really have anything super uh, big to plug other than uh, if, you've, and if you're interested in what you've heard about Seahorse Saga at this point, you can follow it on Twitter. And I do technically have an itch.io page for it where you can play the demo that we talked about earlier. Well, I, I think that um, basically wraps up our conversation. So again, I want to thank um, you guys for joining us and for having, uh, I think, a really uh, good, dis- good positive discussion about like indie titles and, and you know, in, per- in particular, bug. Uh, it's not bug, uh, paper indie titles. <laughs> um, and like, you know, it's really interesting to hear you guys are... Um, at different stages of development but i think in the end like you guys will have very similar experiences i i think seahorse saga will be very successful um when it when it's finally ready to come out and um i i really look forward to what um what you guys are going to do next uh gino uh 